Welcome to an episode of Bands and Botanicals, a unique podcast where a trainer and trainee talk about herbal medicine and fitness. We're your hosts. My name is Danielle Kreese, and I'm a certified personal trainer and owner of DC Fit. And we also have Paula Kirsch, who's an artisanal herbalist and owner of Botanically Curious. So let's go ahead and start the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Hi, everybody. We have a really exciting guest here today, a really knowledgeable, amazing woman. But before we get into that, before we get into our introduction, we're going to go through and we're going to get in our botanical uh, oracle cards. And what better way to do that than to talk with someone uh, who has a little bit of knowledge behind herbalism, farming, all of those fun things. And clovers, interestingly enough can be used in between growing seasons and fields to enrich the soil, bring the nitrogen back in there and some of those things. And the oracle property for it is nurture, um, just because it reminds us that, you know, we need to nurture those around us. And also just looking at um, sustaining our own ideas and our own projects and how can we do that through, you know, nurturing those ideas. So, yeah. Yeah. And that all seems very pertinent. Can't wait to dive in. So let's, Let's not leave you with suspense any longer. Uh, Paula, can you please introduce our amazing? Today we have on the owner and operator of Urban Austin, uh, Nicole Finkelstein. She is a doctor of oriental medicine, licensed licensed acupuncturist, and a registered herbalist. So I uh, once again found her on Instagram and had looked through, thought it was a fantastic topic uh, for us to discuss because we talk about herbalism and we also talk about uh, being fit and what whether, what better way to do both than to uh, farm. So yeah, Austin, because I know last week was a little touch and go. Oh my gosh. Yes. First of all, thank you both so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk with y'all today. Uh, yeah. So Austin just had a really interesting um, bout yeah, of winter yeah. storms that kind of crippled our city. Uh, and then most of central Texas in general and Texas and all, but we're bouncing back. Um, I'm, we're, we were very fortunate uh, on the farm and beyond in my homestead to kind of, you know, have minimal power lossage and anything like that. And then water maintained. And then we only had about uh, a 30% crop loss. So we're counting our lucky stars with that one. It's no short of a miracle. Right. Wow. I mean, so kind of to just jump right in, and, and I'm sure there are other people who have had to deal with this, how were you able to kind of keep the numbers where they were and oh, only have 30% of that crop loss? What were some kind of- Yeah, absolutely. So we up ended up kind of mul- or utilizing multiple techniques in covering and protecting our plants. We predominantly grow a lot of wild herbs. Um, so a lot of them are already pretty resilient in nature and strong. Uh, even though we in Texas haven't seen, I believe they haven't seen a freeze like this since the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And then temperatures haven't been this low since like 1987. Um, so it was interesting <laughs> to kind of be like, oh, this is what we're in for. Wow. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of obviously doing the cover crops, uh, not cover crops, but covering with frost cloths, putting a lot of tarps over that. Uh, we were extremely, extremely mm-hmm. fortunate to get a nice snowfall right before the single digits hit. Uh, So that kind of acted as an insulator for a lot of our herbs. And they were just nice and snuggled up underneath the snow and the frost cloth. So that was kind of what we were able to to finagle. (laughs) So a good learning experience then. (laughs) So diving right into things today, we're going to be talking about some sustainable farming practices and what that really looks like. And talking with you about, you know, how Urban Austin really got started. I always grew up on the farm over in, uh, up in Northeast Ohio. My family was big in fruit farming. I grew up on a kind of commercial strawberry farm. So I had already had the agriculture bug from an early, uh, early age. Uh, and then once moving down to Austin a little over a decade ago, I jumped right into the herbal, um, not the herbal, but the organic farming community, which is thriving here. And I was working on the organic farms while also going to school, uh, grad school for traditional Chinese medicine. And I realized that a lot of the herbs that I was sourcing for patients and working with in clinic and then also for myself, you know, were sourced over from China or, you know, from Poland and different parts, you know, on the other side of the world. 
And the whole issue with me was just about sustainability that, you know, we have all this farmland and ability to grow in the States. And yet not a lot of people are utilizing that for medicinal herb cultivation. So I wanted to marry the two uh, areas of my life that I love the most. So I brought herbalism to farming practices stateside. And that was about four years ago. Yeah. So that's how we started going. And then sustainability was always hugely important for us just to kind of expand on that model uh, and create, you know, just a, a model for other farmers to utilize uh, in growing medicinal herbs. That, that sounds so awesome. I love this journey and how you're kind of blending the two together because I mean, I've talked to farmers, I guess, throughout my time and, and they don't necessarily have that draw towards herbalism per se and, and, and necessarily like farming medicinal things. I guess I normally see that on smaller garden sizes more than a farm and I was just wondering you know you keep mentioning how important sustainable farming is for you and what what practices have you brought in so that that becomes your reality huge emphasis on soil regeneration so pretty much our our whole philosophy is when you have a healthy soil it basically sets the sound like set the foundation for a fully sustainable operation so uh, once we were able to procure some land uh, over in East Austin, which was very fortunate in of itself, uh, we went through, did the whole soil test workup, kind of got a general idea of what we were working with, and then started to really introduce um, some soil remediators uh, or using kind of what's called phytoremediation, where we kind of use living plants to clean up the soil, the air, and the water that might be contaminated with hazardous uh, contaminants. Um, and a lot of the herbs that we grow in general are soil remediators. So that was kind yeah. of, it seemed to all kind of feed into the whole sustainability model that we had set in place um, from the get-go. But yeah, so we work a lot with incorporating uh, a lot of organic matter into the soil, doing a lot of composting. We tend not to throw away anything that we pull from the farm, whether that be old crops or weeds or anything. It kind of cycles right back into the earth uh, in, through our compost pile. And then we also focus on cover crops um, in between grows and kind of uh, crop rotation as well. Many of the cover crops that we utilize, you know, we don't even think about alfalfa, but it's, you know, it's incredibly nutritious. It's incredibly medicinal and beneficial. And you pulled the uh, herb oracle card for red clover. And that's one of the main cover crops that we utilize. It's such a hugely important herb, mm-hmm. not just for, you know, in terms of um, soil regeneration, but then also for you know, physical health as well, women's health specifically. Yeah, I love it. I grow it all over my property. And um, some of the same similar things that you had mentioned with, we had a bunch of red clay soil in, so it was almost impossible for us to grow anything. And so bringing in a lot of that organic matter and making sure that we were bringing in, and a lot of people don't look at herbs as uh, food, but really, I mean, you're talking about like oregano, basil, some of those other things that you can uh, grow on top of uh, clover. That's really beneficial for absolutely for any kind of whole health practice. Yeah, and I I love that you uh, started with the soil. And since I'm the the personal trainer out of the two of us, my mind always kind of tries to equate things to fitness and stuff. And you know, we talk about it often on this podcast of knowing your foundation and your movements and knowing the foundation in your body. And I just love that you guys wanted to start at the foundation for your farming and maybe people, um, you know, me coming into it, I, I am just starting to get into gardening um, a little, you know, more on my own property and starting to build into that and grow into that. And, and it may seem obvious to start with the soil, but <clears throat> for some people, you know, sometimes the obvious isn't as obvious as we think when we're beginners. So I love that you just rebrought that to our attention, like start at your foundation, whether that's, with farming or herbalism or movement, I mean, that's where you have to, you have to build that up or else everything else is Absolutely. not going to be able to withstand itself, I mm-hmm. guess. With the farming communities that I had been working on, uh, we ended up kind of going in uh, and leasing land from six acres of a farming co-op community, uh, again, over in East Austin. And so basically right now we have in cultivation about an acre out of those six acres And then we also have uh, a large scale greenhouse that we're operating out of. And then we also have wild spaces surrounding the farm that we do a lot of kind of foraging and wild crafting from. 
the area. But yeah, we are sharing the farmland and kind of resources and tractors and tools uh, with other farmers. Like we have uh, Joe's Organics and then also Strive Farm that's on the property. And it's just a wonderful farm family all the way around. I'm really, really fortunate to be there. Nice. That that sounds awesome. That kind of like leads me into, uh, and I just kind of had this thought, but you know, maybe people and myself included, and I'm not trying to, but maybe we have a certain perception, I don't know, um, about Texas. I know Austin is very progressive in a lot of ways, though. Do you find that people are really receptive to um, kind of this new form of, you know, when you bring herbalism into, into the community and when you try to share that with people, are you finding the community in Austin to be very receptive to that or are there still some hesitations. It's interesting as the landscape of herbalism on whole for the U.S. is changing so rapidly. I mean, we're seeing a lot of like online education resources and, you know, it's definitely been that Austin has been fortunate enough to have some pretty heavy hitters uh, in the herbal education community that has done an excellent job of, you know, really just bringing herbalists into the community, doing some training, educating the population on whole Um, So like we have Wildflower School of Botanical Medicine here and Sacred Journey Herbalism as well. Um, So they've done a great job, I think, since back in the early uh, 2000s of just working with educating everybody. So there's a lot of herbalists already in practice here in Austin and kind of central Texas uh, on whole. And then we also have the Chinese medicine community, a couple schools here that are training Chinese herbalists and acupuncturists as well. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're at the farmer's market and on a weekly basis, we're coming across folks that are like, oh, herbalism, I never thought about that. So it's a great opportunity. um, As I find the community is more and more receptive, it's a great education Mm -hmm. opportunity uh, just to share what herbalism is, the potentials there uh, for just developing one's health and kind of gaining autonomy over you know, the health that, uh, and one's health, uh, and kind of more of a holistic living approach, uh, to health and well-being in general. So yes, I've definitely found the community is very receptive and very, very supportive. I, I consider myself to be extremely fortunate to be here. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so exciting that this is becoming more streamlined and more accessible and more understood and more thought out for people. I mean, I think we are, Paul and I talk about it often, you know, what diet culture used to be, what medicine necessarily used to be, even what fitness used to be, and kind of how things are evolving in such a nice way to where it is a more holistic approach. And it is a more mindful approach. And it's just, it's wonderful to hear that in your community and in communities all over the place that that's starting to become more Mm -hmm. common practice. So, Nicole, if there were people out there that were looking at expanding and say they recently started gardening because a lot of people did start gardening over COVID and doing some of those other things, what are some of the herbs that you would suggest that they start with? Um, So I really, you know, herbs really lend themselves to companion planting. Uh, And basically what I mean by that is they have, you know, medicinal properties and volatile oils that can be beneficial for other people, like other items in the garden. So that could be like, um, like roses and um, roses and garlic or kind of um, basil and tomatoes, like those kind of classic combos that we see. So it reduces pest, um, you know, pest infiltration or, you know, pest damage, and then also, has a symbiotic relationship with the vegetable or the fruit or flower. Uh, So basically what I usually recommend is for folks just to kind of familiarize themselves with different companion planting combos that they can utilize in their own garden. Uh, And then a lot of these herbs that we're working with, you know, they started out as weeds. They're not fully domesticated like what we find in a lot of the nurseries with our veggies and uh, with our flowering plants. So, you know, they're, they're already going to be pretty hardy and relatively easy to grow and very forgiving. So I try as much as I can to encourage folks to kind of experiment, to play a little bit, um, even if it is incorporating just a few uh, medicinal flowers into their garden to incorporate or encourage pollinators to come. Uh, And that can be like the calendula flower, which does really well in a multiple, uh, you know, a variety of climates. Also comfrey, is one that is incredibly easy to grow. 
And it also is a big like protein. It has a lot of nutrients within the foliage itself. So when comfrey decomposes, it actually infuses the soil around the plant or of the plants around it with proteins and uh, kind of enhances their growth. So we actually will use like the comfrey leaves as fertilizer, kind of mulch uh, to benefit the plants that are surrounding it. So that's a really easy one. Um, And then obviously we have like the very simple kind of culinary herbs that we don't think as being medicinal, like our thymes and our oreganos. Um, Those do really well with companion planting. Mm -hmm. And then they're just they're easy to go, they're readily available, and they tend to be very forgiving as well. So it doesn't have to be too fancy, but experimentation is always fun. <laughs> so I, I actually had a little bit of a question for you in regards to kind of like the physical body and stuff. And if you've, if you've kind of noticed anything by working uh, on the farm and in the garden, I'm not sure what your history of exercise was, but I was just wondering, you know, there's so many benefits to working in the garden and there's so many ben- uh, moves within garden work and within working on a farm that mimic can can relate themselves to moves within the gym. And I was just wondering if you've noticed in the four years or so that you've been doing this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually am kind of working through and I jokingly say to my friends and family that I'm going to be starting a farm fit program because a lot of it is akin to CrossFit exercises I've found Uh, By nature, I'm more of a distance runner, like I've always done like long miles. And I've noticed in the four years that I've been farming actively, uh, getting my operation set up. I mean, I am just able to go longer, faster, harder, because I've been able to build up so much muscle strength through a lot of the activities, you know, it's like carrying wheelbarrows full of dirt from one end of the field to the other, hoisting giant rocks out of the field. I mean, all of that is necessary and it's very fulfilling, but the physical benefits are just out- outrageous. <laughs> so definitely mm-hmm. getting that muscle tone going. Uh, the other benefit I've noticed just in the physical body is that I honestly can say that my immunity has improved tenfold. Um, since mm. I've been farming uh, actively with my hands in the soil every single day, I have not had a head cold or a flu since I started. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in itself is just a huge, huge benefit. In addition to the mental, uh, like kind of more of the mental health and uh, emotional well-being aspects of it all too. I mean, just farming in itself is a very just whole body holistic. Like I feel like I'm treating myself every day that I go to work. It's something that's just, I love it so much. And I've just seen nothing but positives come from it populations throughout the the world that um they have high populations of centurions and people who have these really long healthy life lifespans and their communities in japan and in greece and california and costa rica and one of the main things they all have in common is gardening and and i've experienced in that that in japan personally the way that they take care of their gardens is so mindful and it's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's so um it's such a a a a lifestyle. It's literally for them. And people, you know, and, and research is finding that just like you said, by having that connection to nature, by getting outside, by having that movement, by having a purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up and that you've experienced that because it, it all blends together. I mean, it's literally all in support of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What ways do you kind of incorporate herbs on a daily basis for your health and wellness? that are easy and kind of, you know, obviously mindful. Oh, absolutely. So I, you know, I'm always kind of going within the seasons and that's what I really focus on in kind of in growing is kind of aligning my body, my habits, my medicine, my practices, uh, my exercise regimen all to the seasons. And I try to sync that all up because I've noticed that has the absolute best benefit in growing and then also just my physical well-being. Um, so basically I have my whole herbal regiment that I tune and kind of revamp with each season, but I really focus on, uh, the five element theory in Chinese medicine, incorporating earth, metal, mm. water, wood, and fire. And a lot of those Taoist principles, yep. uh, in just really, you know, reflecting what I'm seeing in the natural world, in my practice, in my physical well-being, uh, and just kind of self-care routine. And I've noticed that through growing plant medicine, it's really done a great job of educating me personally on what freshness and potency in plant medicine should look like. 
So when I'm growing and I'm trying Mm -hmm. to mimic a lot of nature's patterns uh, and what I see happening in the environment, just naturally in the wild weeds, we try to incorporate that in our growing practices and mimic it to enhance the medicinal viability of the herbs that we produce. Uh, And then when I'm sourcing herbs, you know, for patients or if I'm working with other farmers or things that can grow different herbs in different bioregions that we in Texas can't grow, uh, I know what vibrant medicine looks like. And I know that vibrant medicine makes strong medicine for the human body. So I, you know, it's through working with herbs over uh, my practice that's been spanning a little over a decade now that it, you know, not much good is going to come from lifeless brown herbs that are just kind of, you know, without vibrancy that are without any coloration or pizzazz or what we call in Chinese medicine, chi. Uh, So we always try to maintain that, but yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's just, it just takes you off in so many different areas and so many down so many different avenues. It's really amazing. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Especially when you're talking about the vibrancy and the freshness of the herbs and how important that kind of plays into things and kind of their life force, because that's what totally drew me to even just starting off with uh, loose leaf teas, just how beautiful they looked just with the different colorations mm-hmm. of them and definitely seeing the difference when you're taking your crop from one year and, you know, incorporating that in and then having a new fresh crop every year coming in. The one thing that I've seen uh, you do that I was really impressed about was you're growing ashwagandha root and uh, doing some of those things where you would think that when I think ashwagandha root, I do not think Texas um, for some reason. <laughs> and so what, What exactly um, was the defining factor? Did you know like, hey, we could probably make this happen because of the warmer climate and just decided to do that because you didn't want to outsource or with that one in particular, what was the reasoning? I'm so glad you brought up ashwagandha. That herb is my absolute favorite to grow and to use. It's been my saving grace through and through. So interestingly enough, uh, ashwagandha was one of the very first herbs that I attempted in my experimental grows. Uh, What I typically will do is kind of test an herb out in small batches to see how it does with our Texas climate. Not that there's any consistency there from year to year, but (laughs) I try to get a general idea of whether or not it's going to be hardy for our climate in our crazy, crazy summers. Uh, Ashwagandha, because it's a heat loving herb that's kind of more uh, native to India and a lot of like uh, more tropical, warmer climates, I had a suspicion that it would do really well here. And I'm telling you, it was such a success that I really grapple every year without, I really grapple with the thought of like, man, should I just grow ashwagandha and be an ashwagandha farm? Because it is just such a delight to grow here. It's very tolerant of our, you know, droughty, hot summers that we get, even when it's 110 degrees. Uh, And it's a very generous plant too. I know with our harvest, uh, with the medicinal root is typically what we're pulling from ashwagandha. Um we saw root roots that spanned like up to four feet in length. So it was just out of this world, like deep, deep tap roots. But yeah, so a lot of that was a sustainability thing. I was using it so much for my personal use. Um, it being such an amazing adaptogenic herb that works a lot with kind of mitigating stress issues and um, just kind of helping with a lot of mental health um, conditions and symptoms. I've been using that herb for a significant chunk of time. And I was like, you know, everything's again being sourced from overseas and I'm going through it so quickly and, you know, giving it to so many patients that I feel like this is something we need to have a reliable source of each year. And so we've been gradually increasing our ashwagandha crop uh, year from year to year to year. So it's one of my all-time favorites. Um, You know, you started off with the organic farming. Now, some people who may be wanting to do these sustainable practices or organic farming I sometimes I feel like people fear it because they think Mm -hmm. it'll be very costly. Um, You know, even when it comes to buying organic food or buying food from uh, local or smaller sources. And for me, in my mind, you know, it's the investment in the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So it's the preventative medicine. The reason that we do these things now is so that you don't have, uh, you don't get sick all the time. You don't Uh, fall into chronic illness and chronic disease later in your life and you could kind of prevent that but do you have any any suggestions or kind of any like tips on on the costliness of it or how people 
you know, can remedy that in their mind so that they don't fear going into it, that they wouldn't be able to afford being able to do things sustainably. Or It does not have to be fancy whatsoever. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of like online courses that are trying to really promote sustainability and farming and agricultural practices and making it look very complicated and very expensive, but it definitely doesn't have to be. It could be as simple as uh, utilizing, you know, kind of having a compost bucket underneath your kitchen sink and collecting table scraps, not meat or dairy, but, you know, just kind of making sure to reduce food waste, um, even having mm-hmm. a vermiculture bin underneath your kitchen table, which is basically to, um, you know, just increase earthworm, uh, earthworm presence in your garden and in your yard or in your uh, containers that you're using. Um, it can be as simple as, you know, doing a lot of like natural mulches and being sure to kind of keep the soil protected. Uh, and that can be from like leaf matter that you go and rake up your leaves in the fall and collecting that and letting it decompose a little bit. Um, so there's a lot of little simple tricks that really just the everyday home gardener can do that are basically free. Uh, there's not a huge, you know, huge uh, barrier to that. Mm-hmm. Or does, there doesn't have to be. Of course, you can make it expensive if you want, but uh, even doing like rain water, rainwater collection, uh, you know, having a rain collection barrel underneath your gutters and then watering your plants from that. Those are all simple, sustainable practices that everybody can easily utilize. Mm. Yes, yes. I mean, we're just we're my husband and I recently moved relatively recently moved to southern Oregon and we tried growing some things that got immediately decimated by the large, large amounts of deer here. And now we're trying to build up a little safe garden, but we are trying to bring some of those things that you're saying, you know, kind of doing more things ourselves, trying to remedy the soil a bit ourselves, um, bringing in that water tank eventually. So yeah, thank you for mentioning that all those little things that I guess we automatically think we have to outsource to other people or, or buy rather than just putting in a little bit of effort so yes, that we definitely. could do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So here locally, we have Southern Oregon University, which has a small farming program and operation, and they actually offer fresh local produce from their farm uh, for, you know, those in the community that would like to kind of buy in almost like as a cooperative uh, operation. Do you have any of those options out there for people? Usually it's a little cost effective as well. Absolutely. Uh, that's great. I love hearing that you guys have that out there. And we're starting to see more of it come about in Austin. Um, I have a couple resources that I like to pull from in, uh, in general. We have obviously our uh, sustainable food center that has a farmer's market downtown. We also have Texas farmer's markets. They're very um, robust in our community and do a great job of making sure that there's food accessibility, especially with organic um, organic veggies and produce uh, for the local community. And they have a lot of like really awesome uh, systems that they utilize and make it just more accessible, accessible for everybody. Uh, as far as like organic gardening and kind of a resource center, we have the natural gardener down here in Austin, Texas, that I like to pull from. And they have a whole website that is great Um, Just a great resource that kind of helps guide you along if you're kind of tiptoeing or dipping your toe into the organic growing pool uh, and just want more information there. But typically, um, I'm a master gardener, so I typically like to send folks over to their local extension office because there's a lot of great resources and a lot of very knowledgeable growers just readily available. They have usually help desks if you have any questions about like pest control or soil amendments or what have you, or even like plant pathologies. So there's every county has a great resource already at their fingertips and that's all free. Um, So definitely checking that out. And then also master naturalists as well uh, can help kind of guide you in that direction as well. So those are just a couple that I like to pull from personally. Where can we find you or where can the listeners find you? And do you have anything exciting happening on the farm or in your uh, business in the future that we can keep an eye out for. Absolutely. Uh, So we basically are working right now on a mental health garden, uh, kind of more of a therapy space and going to be opening that up to our local community in May, which is going to be our mental health awareness month. So we've been really working on that. uh, Just again, trying to incorporate more or, you know, have more opportunities for folks to really immerse themselves in nature and work on healing and kind of recovery after 2020, especially Uh, just getting their hands dirty and learn a little bit more Mm. about agriculture. 
Uh, but we do monthly classes. Um, typically, I have online options and kind of COVID friendly, safe options. And then also we do in-person workshops on the farm as well. Uh, we do a lot of work through, uh, kind of showcase a lot of what we do through Instagram. So I typically have people kind of check us out in that arena. And uh, then also our website is usually updated as well. So we've got some updates there that will come through for folks. And that's just urbanaustin.com. Yeah, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. And um, thank you so much. We had a really great time. I'm so inspired by hearing you say a mental health garden. I mean, mm-hmm. that just sounds important to think about too, that we could even incorporate in our lives here. So thank you again. Thank you both so much for having me. I've really loved talking with you today. So we just had a really awesome conversation with Nicole about her sustainable farm and about her herbalism. And I just wanted to hop back on here for a second because I loved that Nicole brought up the farm fit. Mm. And I just wanted to kind of go into a little bit more detail about what that means. Because for those who aren't familiar either with the gym or with farming, you may not even realize how both of those can relate to each other. So I just wanted to break a couple things down, a couple of movements that you might go into for gardening and farming and how they can relate to the functional movements in the gym. Mm. And therefore, how the functional movements in the gym can relate to everything that you do outside of the gym because honestly, that's one of the biggest points. I mean, yes, it's to feel good. Yes, if you wanna look good, that makes you feel better, all of that stuff. But how does what you're doing in the gym let you live a better, more fulfilled, fuller life outside of the gym? So. This is a perfect example. Now, a great total body workout can increase flexibility. It could strengthen joints. um, And and honestly, gardening and farming is a great total body workout. Think about when you're raking Mm. or even, let's go with shoveling. Actually, let's go with both. One's a pushing movement, one's a pulling movement. So they actually do complement each other because sometimes when you're creating a workout, you want to think of those things. Mm. If you're constantly, for example, if you're in the gym and I'm actually dealing with this right now because push-ups are my favorite freaking move to do of all time. Mm. They're almost in every single one of my workouts, especially because I put on classes for other people and create classes for other people that I want them to get that practice in. And in turn, it makes me perform them a lot more than I probably should. So right now I have a little bit of imbalance. I'm getting some pain in the anterior or the front part of my shoulder. Mm. And it's it's because I'm kind of dipping my shoulders down as I'm going into my push-up, even when I'm trying to be conscious of it. It's just what happens when you get fatigued or when you do a repetitive motion. So with my push-ups now, I've talked to a, a physical therapist and I need to practice more pulling movements. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think of that as raking and shoveling. When you're raking, you're usually pulling the rake back. When you're shoveling, you're pushing the shovel forward. So obviously it's an upper body workout, mm-hmm. but without you realizing it's also a core workout. There's a lot of rotation that goes into raking and especially shoveling. You know, you pick it up and then you're usually rotating Mm -hmm. to put it out of the way of the space that you're working in. So there's a lot of core, there's also lower body because at least in my experience, you're not just like straight legged and you shouldn't be just bending your back in order to get into that uh, position. You need to be bending through your legs like you're in a squat position and then getting that shovel, picking it up with your shoulders, using your core to rotate. So honestly, this shoveling is a total body move. Mm -hmm. You squat, you raise, you rotate. Think about when you're doing, Paula, she loves our shoulder work, let me tell (laughs) you. Think about when you're doing front raises and lateral raises. Mm -hmm. Those are similar movements to when you're holding up. a. See, Paula, I'm just trying to... Oh, I know. We had leg day, and then I went home and shoveled nine yards of gravel. (laughs) Um, I understand, but like you mentioned, the core, definitely, because it's going to work your core whether you focus on it or not, and the more that you can engage your core, the more you're protecting your back and everything else when you're twisting, because it only takes a split second to throw your back out or do any of those things. Yes, especially when you're rotating or like torquing kind of like a quicker movement around like maybe you just happen to not have a heavy load on that one and you turn quickly to just like throw it over your shoulder Mm. i mean that 
it really sucks when you hurt yourself doing stuff in the gym and it really sucks when you hurt yourself doing stuff outside of the gym especially when it could be preventable Mm -hmm. but let's say you did have to do a lot of shoveling or a lot of raking maybe you just got a farm maybe you're just starting a garden because we're getting into spring whatever the case is some things you could do inside the gym to complement those movements are like i just mentioned front and lateral raises for your shoulders You could do bicep strengthening because you are, when you think about it, you do hinge a bit through the elbow in order to really pick up that shovel. You could do, you could grab one of those long bands and do core rotations by hooking it to an anchor, kind of like you would a cable Mm -hmm. at a gym. So what you're doing outside complements what you're doing inside, what you're doing inside complements what you're doing outside. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Lifting and moving plants. (laughs) Um... It's similar to doing a goblet squat mm-hmm. or even like a low hold squat, whether you're keeping your arms straight and you're just going from that squat position to a standing position and moving a little bit, or maybe you're picking it up and you're holding it kind of up at your chest. You could, it's almost mimicking that movement and you could practice this in the gym. Mm-hmm. Doing those squats will develop greater range of motion also for when you have to like, um, get deeper maybe when you're pulling weeds or you're actually transplanting the plants you know we often have to if we're not going right onto our knees we squat down Mm -hmm. and we go into that like deep squat position right and if you practice that in the gym it's going to equate to you being more comfortable in the things that are your hobbies and the things that you're doing for pleasure and for recreation Mm. um i'm gonna keep on going (laughs) pushing and pulling the wheelbarrow so nicole mentioned this Now, it's not just the load that's the challenge of the wheelbarrow. Now, Paula, Mm -hmm. I know that you have a property with like a lot of undulations and kind of different levels. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I have spilled so many (laughs) wheelbarrows. Yeah. Because it's an unstable surface. And not not only is it an unstable surface, but you're also using material that may be not completely leveled Mm -hmm. in your wheelbarrow. Yeah. So there are a lot of different variables that this, it really, I don't know if you feel it, but I really feel it in my core. Mm -hmm. When I'm pushing the wheelbarrow, it's not just lower body that's working as Mm -hmm. I move it through, but it's my core trying to balance so I don't waste all of the work I just did trying to shovel that shit into the wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. Because that is very frustrating. And it also is never very graceful. I don't know about you, but I always kind of then trip myself. Right. And then Jeff is usually laughing at me. And I'm just (laughs) trying to gather myself together. So really engaging your core while you're pushing or pulling that wheelbarrow is going to be important. And uh, a machine that you could kind of equate that to in the gym is, Paula, have you ever used like the sleds? I've seen them. The only thing I've done is like the ropes where you're trying to stabilize yourself where you're like, you know. Like the battle ropes? Yeah. Yeah. So that could kind of be similar. Mm. But the sleds too. And if you ever try F45... They have sleds, <laughs> little plug right there. But as you're pushing a sled or as you're pushing and pulling a wheelbarrow, you're pushing through your glutes, your quads, and your calves. Mm. So not obviously not to mention having to stabilize with your arms and with your core. And then when you're pulling the, the wheelbarrow back, you're engaging your glutes, your hamstrings, and your back muscles. Mm-hmm. So you could really get the front of the body and the back of the body when you're doing the work that you love doing. Right. Doesn't have to be in the gym. That's what's so awesome about movement is that movement can come in so many different forms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at how sedentary lifestyle has become and then looking at the increase in gyms and fitness and things, there's that correlation there where people aren't necessarily always going off and doing some of those, but now things might be slowing down. You might actually have some time for gardening and other things. Use that time to be outside, to mm-hmm. get that movement in in a different way. It doesn't have to be in the gym, but always know anytime you're moving, you've got to focus on form. Oh, yes. And that, and, and you know what? Thank you for mentioning that. I actually have some tips that I'm going to talk about because I feel like it's already hard enough for people to stay aware of form when they're in the gym and they should mm. be staying aware of form, mm. let alone when you're outside of the gym and you may lose some of that mindfulness And so you're bending through your back in order to pick up um, that plant or in order to move some dirt. Uh, You're not really engaging or you're not engaging your core when you're rotating. So you're risking that, that injury. I mean, 
when you are moving in general, especially when you are carrying things, bending down, having to get flexible, still stay mindful. That's not just meant for the gym. And the beautiful thing is, is if you practice that in and out of the gym, then it starts to become second nature. You don't have to be like, oh shit. Like <laughs> what was I supposed to think about? Oh yeah, my shoulders, my core, my hips, my knees, my feet. Mm-hmm. Like it starts to just become things that your mind just automatically flows through. Yeah. And you just check things off. Okay, I'm squared off. Okay, I'm bending with my legs and not with my back. Okay, my core is engaged. I could stabilize this wheelbarrow or this whatever you're doing in the gym a little bit better. So it all starts to blend together for just a healthier lifestyle, I think. Yeah, and the more that you engage your muscles and consciously do that, the easier they are to engage in other formats. You know, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing I've noticed taking a break from fitness, getting back into fitness, doing some of those things is realizing how much easier it is to engage your muscles and feel that engagement when you consistently do it and you make it a habit. Yeah, I mean, you're creating neural pathways in your body and you're creating literally patterns within your body because a lot of the times you may find that if you're injured you can't activate those muscles even if you try to stay mindful so by staying on top of it by staying aware of how your body's moving by learning to squeeze and add your own tension and add your own engagement it's going to be better for you in all ways Um, And I loved that Paula and Nicole brought up the mental benefits because I was doing some research for this podcast and there are quite a few studies that kind of um, support all of these ideas. And I just wanted to share them with you because I found them really interesting. Mm. So uh, I mentioned how there are populations all over the world who have larger amounts of centurions or just longer lifespans, longer, healthier lifespans, not just longer sickly lifespans, but Mm. where your mind is still there, your cognitive health is still there, your physical health is still there. Um, But a Dutch Dutch study showed that they gave a group of participants a really stressful task. They then broke this group into two separate groups and they had one group read inside so not even do a like stressful another stressful situation they didn't put them into another stressful situation but reading inside Mm. lounging and then they asked the other group to go outside and do a little bit of gardening and the people who did reading actually found that some of their stressful experiences or that their mood rather kept deteriorating Mm. and even though i love reading so much but maybe your mind does have that chance to kind of like spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, And people who were outside and who were gardening and who were connected, they reported feeling fully restored after the stressful experience. And then they also had lower cortisol levels. So you saw not just like the mental feeling, but you saw their physical body actually react to being outside, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Um, Australian researchers have followed men and women in their 60s. They followed them for about 16 years found that those who regularly gardened had a lower risk of dementia. Again, if you don't use it, you lose it. I mean, and what we mentioned earlier, that purpose. Mm -hmm. It gives you that purpose to get up, to take care of something, to have to think about something. Yeah, my grandfather is 81 years old, and he's doing gardening work. He's taking care of the chickens, walking back and forth, doing some of those things. And um, it definitely makes a difference. You know, when people go to retire they just stop everything. They mm-hmm. stop moving. They stop, you know, and you really have to consistently focus on those aspects. It's just like active recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Paula was just telling me how her and her grandfather, he was helping you the other day when you right. were moving load after load of material and you were prepping your garden and you were doing all that stuff. He was right there with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, if that doesn't speak for itself, because there are, there, you know, you may meet a 50 year old or a 60 year old who just thinks that they can't do that anymore and therefore they don't. And you mm-hmm. see that the way they age, that the way they live is completely different from, you right. said, 84? 81. Right An now. 81 year old man who is still doing hard, like, it's not necessarily easy, like mm-hmm. physical labor. Right. I mean, that's, it speaks for itself. And yeah, that also is to say that even if you are 60 years old and maybe you just want to start on your wellness journey, 
you know, you could still have a good 20 some mm-hmm. odd years left. Mm-hmm. It's never too late to start no. doing a lot of those things. No, yeah. it's never too late because there's always a starting point and because you don't, you never have to go zero to 60. Mm-hmm. There's progressions, there's, there's baby steps and each baby step yields a bigger step, yep. gets you further. So I l- thank you because mm-hmm. I, I don't want someone to think that just because you reach a certain age, like, and you get to a point that it's too late to keep trying. Right. Um, some U.S. Uh, studies have found that mortality rates among farmers with regards to cancer, heart disease, diabetes was less than the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, stress reduction from spending time outside in nature, from getting vitamin D. Um, I mentioned the forest bathing in Japan. I mean, that's a very real thing. And I even read that some Swedish doctors are starting to prescribe that mm. for various ailments such as anxiety or depression. Instead of prescribing a medicine mm-hmm. or a pharmaceutical, they're telling people to go outside. Yeah. Which I, I, I feel like it'd be a long time until that reached the States, but maybe some naturopaths are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, doctors of alternative medicine hopefully are doing that because I, I could be in the worst freaking mood ever. Mm. Or I could be depressed or I could be anxious or whatever it is. And if I take myself for a walk or a hike outside, I'm not, it's not bullshit. Like I do feel right. better. I don't know about, I mean, I feel yeah. like you are the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I wanted to start off the, the springing into health theme of March and really talking about some of these basic practices, knowing where your food's coming from. If you can be sustainable in that, sustainable in your movement. And, you know, if you don't have time to get to the gym what are some sustainable ways that you can continue in your fitness and wellness and movement and just getting up off the couch and doing some of those things? And, you know, we're going to also be talking about uh, later this month just ways to kind of, I guess, biohack some of those things. Mm-hmm. So looking at, you know, if it's as easy as just going for a walk or, mm-hmm. you know, just to make life a little bit easier because you might not have time for all of the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. There's an easier, smarter way to do it. Let's work smarter, not harder. Yes. And kind of just to wrap all of this up, I just wanted to give a couple of tips, um, just some things to keep in mind, really. So I kind of already mentioned it, but I will say this forever. Not everyone, sorry, bend with your knees, drive through your heels to stand when picking up heavy objects, mm. 100%. Um, if you're pulling weeds, try to keep your chest up, your back flat rather than really rounding through the back and the shoulders and kind of, that automatically brings your shoulders to your ears. You start adding some stress to the cervical spine and you, you have no core engagement. Mm-hmm. So, so all of those things to think about. Um, when you're thinking about the positions you're putting yourself in, that's just where the mindfulness comes in. Protect your knees. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the type of person, I get a little stubborn, especially when I get tunnel vision and I'm like kind of in the thick of something. I don't want to take the time to do those little things, but putting something under, under your knees so that they don't hurt. Um, are you hunched over? Are you straining your neck? You shouldn't be like contorting yourself. Mm-hmm. If that's not how you naturally would be in every other way that you move, I mean, again, be mindful about what you're doing. Um, you could also, when you're shoveling, this is a really important one. Mm-hmm. Do you do this, Paula, when you're shoveling? You know, that's kind of single-sided work. Do you ever try to count how many shovels you're getting in on one side and then switching to the opposite side? I don't necessarily count, but I, I'm mindful of switching. And then what I do is, because I'm working with a big, um, usually it's in a truck. And so I'm shoving, I'm taking one hand and I'm shoving the shovel in with that one mm-hmm. hand. And then once I'm, it's almost like getting all the stuff in and then I pull it, you know, with the other hand to pull it out and um, focusing on some of that. And then if I have to kind of lift up, I'm almost engaging my, my butt muscle there, mm-hmm. and my glutes and stuff and doing some of that. So focusing on that. Um, because if you don't, you're actually, your forearms hurt really bad. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Switch <laughs> sides. And I would suggest even just hearing you say that Paula, I would suggest trying to actually maybe count and be a little bit more mindful. Like I know, cause even if you're pushing with one arm and then switching and pulling with the right. other arm, you're doing two completely opposing moves, hitting, uh, different muscles possibly. Mm-hmm. So you're still 
than having just one repetitive motion in those muscles. Right. Um, I, I, I guess I'm a little anal about this stuff because it's what I think about, but I literally like will count. Mm. Okay, I just shoveled 12 times on this arm. And it's interesting because since we always have the stronger side and the side that we favor, you may find that that other side's not the most comfortable, but you'll, that's mm. why you do it. Again, you build into to making it so that both sides of your body can work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're moving heavy material, try to keep the load close to your body. So if you have a heavy plant, instead of holding your arms out, try to keep it close to the, close to your core mm -hmm. so that you don't have such a big lever point mm -hmm. and, and that'll take away some of the intensity. Um, and, and if this is what you enjoy doing, it's going to make you stick with it. And right. this is the way that you can move. And, and then I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <laughs> I just have one last little suggestion. Let's say you can't get to the gym. Mm. Let's say the garden is your happy place. So we usually prioritize what's our happy place, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can't make it to the gym, if that's not a priority for you, then you could elevate your gardening so that if you feel right. like you're still not getting enough, then maybe you turn your gardening into a little bit of a workout. Mm -hmm. So you could elevate it by adding some of those functional movements. So while you're carrying your plant or your pot of soil, maybe you stop for a second and you perform a set of bicep curls. Mm. Or you hip hinge and you perform a set of rows. Um, you could do high rows. So when you bring your elbows higher than your hands, and not everyone may know exactly what I'm talking about, but you can look it up. Mm -hmm. um, you could perform high rows while you're walking. You don't even have to stop what you're doing if you're on a time constraint. And you could perform high rows while you're walking, and then not only are you getting upper body, but you're coordinating the body. Right. Uh, grab a heavy bag of dirt and perform heavy squats or deadlifts. Mm -hmm. I've done that. You can put that bag of dirt on the floor and you could use it as a hurdle, mm. something to jump over, something to push up on, mm -hmm. something that gives you just a frame of reference, you know, if you're doing a plyometric movement. Um, as you walk up and down the length of your garden, you could perform walking lunges. Right. You could go into, you could perform a walking lunge and then drop into that lunge, get in a rotation, work that one plant, re-rotate and move out of that lunge. Um... And while you're like bending down, mm -hmm. you could do little micro pulse squats. Mm -hmm. Like maybe while you're doing some pruning or some weed gardening, your butt is just bouncing ever <laughs> so slightly. If your partner is working with you, they may enjoy this part of your gardening <laughs> exercises. But little micro squeezes of your butt because you're already down there. Mm -hmm. The whole point of a pulse is to get low and to stay low right. with the squats. And then not everyone is going to have a big farm that they could do like you know, where the farm is like your whole work. So just, even if you have a garden, just know that you're still moving. Mm -hmm. Be like happy about that. Be proud about that. Be connected to that. Peace and love. And we will see you next time.